Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. I want to welcome you all to the launch of the 2021 Index of Economic Freedom. The rankings we're publishing today are the product of statistical assessments, but also qualitative judgments by experts, business people, and average citizens of the economic conditions and policies in 178 countries. We've been through an extraordinary year and the coronavirus pandemic has had a substantial impact on economic conditions in every country. Much of that impact is ongoing and many of the measures implemented by governments, particularly the travel restrictions and lockdowns, are having a negative effect on economic freedom and all the benefits associated with it. Well, we're going to get this event started with a brief film outlining some of those benefits. Every day, men and women around the globe go to work, each with the same goal, to prosper. But what's not the same is the degree of economic freedom each country offers to its people. Every year, the Heritage Foundation ranks almost every country by its economic freedom, and the results are pretty interesting. The index uses data from sectors like business, trade, governance, and policy to generate a score, with 100 being the most free. Countries that score high are those that have a business-friendly tax code and governments that encourage innovation and entrepreneurship. In addition to enjoying higher levels of financial prosperity, people in these free societies live longer, have better health, are more educated, and surprisingly, are better protectors of the environment. So why does all this matter? It turns out that while there is no single solution to the world's major challenges, economic freedom can have a powerful effect on improving society. Our data shows that the five freest economies in each region are significantly more prosperous than the five least free. Every year's index confirms this point, showing that countries that score higher on the index also perform higher in three key areas, income per capita, social progress, and democratic governance. Economic freedom is not just about data and rankings. It's about empowering people to choose their path in life. And while the principles of economic freedom serve as a sure guide, they are nonetheless only a guide. What truly will matter in the years to come are the creative solutions to pressing world problems that are certain to flow from people who are truly free to choose. Go to heritage.org index to dive deeper into this year's findings. You know, it's been clear for years now that countries with more economic freedom provide their citizens with greater prosperity in the broadest possible sense. It's not only more income and wealth, but better healthcare, educational opportunities, and cleaner environments. Citizens in the economically free countries are also empowered to demand more participatory democratic government and greater respect to their human rights. All these benefits and more are detailed in the new index. There's one additional benefit I want to emphasize, and that is the astounding reduction in worldwide poverty that has accompanied the expansion of economic freedom in our globalized economy. Poverty rates have dropped by more than two thirds during the last three decades. 
as you can see here, poverty rates are much lower in countries with higher levels of economic freedom. It's really essential if we are to fully enjoy all the benefits mentioned in the film while continuing to win the fight against poverty, um, that our governments need to restore immediately the economic freedoms they have taken away in response to the pandemic. We can't afford to continue lockdowns indefinitely. We can't continue restrictions on travel and trade, and we can't continue to spend beyond our means, saddling future generations with debts they do not deserve and will be poorly positioned to pay. Sustainable economic recovery will not happen unless economic freedom is fully restored. Now, on to the index rankings. We have five countries this year that earned designation as economically free. Singapore is the most economically free country in the world. Notably, it achieved a top rating in every category we measure in the index, and the only country to do so. New Zealand, Australia, Switzerland, and Ireland were the other countries judged economically free this year. Here's an expanded list of the countries currently leading the index. Countries from every region are represented on this list, but over half of the top 20 are located in Europe. You can see that several countries, especially Taiwan, the United Kingdom, and Estonia, are very close to joining the free category. We include a significant amount of regional analysis in the index this year, and I want to highlight the economic freedom leaders from each region. Canada is the freest country in the Americas. The most improved country in the region is Barbados, which got its fiscal health in order for the first time in a while. Singapore is, of course, the freest country in the Asia-Pacific region, but the most improved country there is Mongolia, which recorded one of the biggest one-year improvements in fiscal health that we have ever seen. In Europe, Switzerland is the freest country, and Spain is the most improved. Spain achieved significant improvements in all of the rule of law indicators. The United Arab Emirates tops the Middle East North Africa rankings. There was a tie for most improved in the region, with Bahrain recording a big boost in its government integrity score, while Saudi Arabia scored a big improvement in business freedom. Finally, in Sub-Saharan Africa, Mauritius has the highest score, and the Republic of the Congo posted the biggest gain for the year, with improvements in its tax, government spending, and fiscal health indicators. For our domestic audience, I'm now going to turn briefly to the results for the United States. The United States received its lowest score ever in the index this year, and also its lowest ranking, only 20th in the world in economic freedom. In fact, economic freedom has been declining for a number of years in the United States with only brief interruptions. Uh, the reason for this year's decline is pretty clear. Uh, there was a very large drop in the fiscal health score because of excessive government spending. Uh, but I also want to call your attention to the significant decline in the judicial effectiveness score for the United States 
And that reflects what seems to be a loss of confidence by some Americans in the fairness and impartiality of our court system. Well, we have two very distinguished guests joining us to discuss these results and to help us understand what is going on in the US and the world economy. And I'm going to invite them to join me on screen now. Charles Payne is the CEO of Wall Street Strategies and the host of Making Money with Charles Payne on the Fox Business Network. Jack Spencer is Vice President for the Institute of Economic Freedom here at the Heritage Foundation. Gentlemen, welcome to our discussion and uh, the floor is yours. Good morning, thank Good morning. you. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you, Terry. Uh, uh, first, thank you for being us, with us today, Charles. I really appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to, to help us launch the Index of Economic Freedom. And, and just from a personal standpoint, I have to say that I love your show. I think you're one of the most insightful and sensible voices out there. So uh, just, just for me, this is a real honor. So thank you for that. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that, Jack. You know, I put a lot of work into it to try to make it different and to to really hone in on, on beyond the headlines, you know what I mean? So thanks a lot, it means a lot. That's great, um, and you do a good job at it. Um, but let's talk economic freedom. Um, I'd like to start with the individual, then we'll look at some broader uh, uh, political and philosophical issues. Now you have a long and distinguished career in the money business. You work on Wall Street, you have a successful television show, you're a distinguished author. Among other things, I'd say folks associate you with financial success. Now, uh, given your story, I'm curious, what does economic freedom mean to you? And how, is that, how has economic freedom allowed you to make the choices in both your, your life and your career that has allowed you move, to move toward the financial success that, that you've achieved and that so many Americans want to achieve? You know, we talk about the American dream a lot, Jack, and it's, to me, it's really about the, the belief that you can attain it uh, which I, I think is really probably the number one issue in this country. Fewer and fewer people believe that it's attainable, not that it is attainable, not any of the other data that shows well, other places may, may have more mobility, but just sort of the notion that it was sort of uh, not necessarily uh, uh, ordained at birth, but just sort of a birthright, if you will. Uh, and, and that's faded away big time. And I was kind of lucky that, that I, I, I got it in the sense that I had two childhoods. And the first part of my childhood, my father was in the Army. Uh, we, we moved every single year. So, you know, born in New York, lived in Pittsburgh. We went to Texas, went to Germany, back to Pittsburgh, then to Japan, then to Texas, then to Alabama, then to North Carolina, then to Virginia. And I wake up one morning, my mom says, we're leaving. So, so her and my father broke up and we went from this amazing life really on army bases back then uh, that really kind of even shielded us from the realities of the 60s and 70s and we moved to Harlem where we had nothing it was four of us all living in a room without heat or hot water so I had two different childhoods that sort of formed what I am now and they both play an, an integral role but being the oldest I was thrusted into a position where I just had to uh, provide for my family and I just believed that I can do it. I just knew that this was the, the place. And I decided on Wall Street when I was a teenager. I told my mom at 14, 13, I'm going to work down on Wall Street. She says, OK, go for it. And, you know, of course, long story short, I, I'm, I'm here. Right. But uh, that that's what 
I find uh, the most worrisome, honestly, uh, of all the things out there. When I visit kids and I talk to kids in schools, some of the nonprofit things that my wife and I do, uh, a lot of it revolves around high schoolers or, or folks uh, who are just going to college. And that's really an area that, that, is, that needs some help in a major way. Now, when your mother said, Charles, yeah, go for it, did she say, sure, Charles, go for it? Or she said, <laughs> Everyone else says, Charles. sure. Everyone <laughs> else says, sure. Honestly, no one believed I could do it, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I called my dad up on the phone. I said, you know, I'm, I, want to work, I, I want to work down on Wall Street. He says, listen, I've seen it on TV. It's a bunch of white guys throwing paper in the air. <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, listen, it's just no one thought it was possible, really. Honestly, if it wasn't for my mom, I wouldn't be here. She really made me believe I can do it. Well, that's great. Great, uh, really good background, Charles. Now, the Index of Economic Freedom, interestingly, interestingly, largely mirrors a lot of that story. You know, it shows that beyond doubt that societies that are economically free are prosperous, that they have better health outcomes, environmental outcomes, really by almost any metric of well-being, freer societies do better. Now, despite all that evidence, perhaps more than any time since the end of the Cold War, we see economic freedom under attack. I was wondering if you had any insight into why that is right now. I think you have to look beyond the number, right? Because all of these numbers essentially end up being sort of averages of a country, but it doesn't mean it's shared, distributed in a certain way evenly within those countries. And I think that's what we're really seeing, particularly in the West, you know, in the United States, Europe, but also places like Japan, where, it just feels like that that sort of uh, birthright I just talked about is no longer there. Uh, so you saw it maybe 15, 12, 13 years ago, beginning in Japan with the young men. They said, we don't want to take a, a four-hour commute and work at the same job for 40 years. Uh, you know, they call it the grass eater phenomenon. And, uh, and consequently, some of the things that have happened from that, uh, the lowest birth rate in the world and, and some serious issues. They're going to go from, what, 120 million to 80 million in population. Uh, we're seeing in, in, in Europe where, uh, you know, they live very great lives. But the fact of the matter is, is like they've sort of been stuck uh, for a long time. And, if, and, and you know, you go, you, go, you go to places like Italy or you go to Portugal, you go to Greece, and it just doesn't feel like the average person you run into believes they can do much more than where they are at that very moment. Uh, so... And here, of course, in the United States. So um, the scores, while the overall scores are one thing, the idea that it's either A, distributed in a way that makes everyone excited about being part of the system or even, even publicized in a certain way. Because I think in America, one of our big issues is success, even when we're in the midst of a, of a successful period, is downplayed a lot. Uh, in, in this country, a lot of people go by how they feel rather than what the numbers say. And that obviously dictates political policy, which is why we have done so many things the wrong way of like. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this whole notion of uh, basing it on how we feel or what we what narrative we want to advance um, has become really problematic in economic policy. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah any the conversations I've had with. You know, my friends I've grown up with, I would say most of my friends that I've that I've been friends with uh, from Harlem, from the South Bronx, uh, you know, I, I have big parties at my house, particularly for the fights and things like that. And everyone's invited. Everyone comes over. Uh, and, and it's so weird because almost all I, I of my friends. 
you got to come check them out, man. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, but they're all really conservative. You know, when you listen to them, they all work hard. They've all achieved a, a certain amount of success. Uh, uh, they all don't like what they're seeing, but most would label themselves Democrats, you know, the ones that, the people I've grown up with. And when you say, well, if you look at policies, for instance, the first three years under President Trump and the first three years under Barack Obama, they will tell me that it felt better under Obama. Although heading into the last year, we had the lowest poverty rate ever for black people and Hispanics and Asians. The gap between black and white unemployment was the narrowest it's ever been. Uh, home ownership at this very moment, the highest ever for Hispanics. So the factual things are nudged aside by the emotional things, that, but it's the emotional things that give politicians the power to wreck the system. It's such a it's a, such a frustrating thing to deal with and to try to articulate because I'm afraid. I want people. I want I want every young American, 13 years old that might live in the worst ghetto in America that still believe tomorrow morning when they wake up, they can make it. That's my goal. That's my dream. Because I was lucky enough to do that, to feel that way. But I also had seen the world and already developed dreams in my head. And I lived in Japan, right? I had kids, friends who went to Japanese schools and I, I lived in Texas and I learned how to make friends quickly. So those things I want all of our all American uh, kids to be able to enjoy and to have. And there's so many forces that are exactly the opposite, very powerful forces that keep their power jacked by keeping us separated and keeping us with hopeless with hopelessness in the air. The greater the hope, the less power they have. Here, here. That's a great segue, Charles, into my next question. Um, we've seen recently this rise of socialism and even populism um, from across the political spectrum. And a common theme amongst both of those movements are restrictions on economic freedom. And I guess this is a two-part question. One, uh, what do you think of that, that whole sort of movement in, on, on, on the socialism and, and populism spectrum? But also, um, what is it about economic freedom? It seems that folks are more willing to give up economic freedom um, before they are you know, some of the other freedoms that we hold dear. And why is that, 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 that people are willing to, to, to they, they don't seem to understand that the ability to control the, our labor, how we spend our resources, is a manifestation of the very same, same freedoms in, uh, that, that, we, that we hold when we um, exercise free speech or the freedom of assembly and these sorts of things. I think a big part of it is not knowing, and it gets back to what I was saying, not knowing or even appreciating what you have. Uh, and uh, again, I, I guess the trajectory uh, of generation after generation standing on, on one shoulder and, and getting better and, uh, you know, this sort of notion that each generation would do better than the, than the last. Uh, when it feels like that's not happening, people panic. Some get very angry. That's a birthright who took it from me. Well, it's obviously the wealthy that took it from you. Well, how do we even the score? How do we get it back? There's a thing called socialism. You remember from college, it sounds really good. In fact, the operative word here is that it's fair. How about a fair system, you know, where the rich don't get everything, where you get what's coming to you? Uh, and, and to me, the birthright is the opportunity to succeed, not success in of itself. But we are at this point, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of it's manifested into this populism wave around the, around the world, uh, and now, of course, this socialism. 
and and it's it's really building because it sounds like something that okay um it sounds fair it sounds like you know we all get a piece of the action no one's so much richer than someone else and then of course you you have to layer in other things that are going on you know the, the social justice movement uh you know ripping down statues um you know the ditching mr potato head there's so many things that that are part and parcel of this sort of you know we're trying to fight the wars of yesteryear right and and, and our focus is on rewriting history and and somehow you know making what might have happened 100 years ago getting justice for that and so it's all put into the same cauldron if you will and and it, and it seems particularly if you're younger that to be the right thing to do uh, and so it, it's a very powerful force it's a very powerful message uh, if you don't know how it looks in reality you know uh, a lot of people say you only get to vote for socialism once right? <laughs> once you've accepted it try you know, it's like the scene from the a Bronx Tale. Now you can't leave. Uh, so, uh, but we don't want to get there, right? Enough people, enough of us know uh, history. Not just, and it's not history like, oh man, you know, the, the, you know Julius Caesar kind of stuff. It's 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 current things. You know, you go to Venezuela. Uh, you can so many uh, people who've come here from these other countries uh, in Europe that have experimented with this, understand it firsthand, uh, and and so. Some of it is just a lack of knowledge and a lack of appreciation, Jack, for what you have. Sometimes you don't realize how good you have until, until you throw it away. Do you have any insight on what we can do about it? Like, how do we overcome this pressure that we're under right now? I, I think messaging is a huge part of it. I just, you know, I just, I get so frustrated with the political system and, and, uh, and, and with politicians. It just, and, also not paying attention. I don't know what the heck is going on. I, for instance, right now, uh, they're gonna have a vote in, uh, in Alabama on unionizing Amazon. Uh, over the weekend, President Biden made a video. Now, of course, he didn't mention Amazon uh, directly, but he did enough that you knew exactly what he was talking about. In fact, I'm surprised someone didn't even try to challenge it uh, You know, for constitutional grounds. Uh, you, you have uh, four or five very left-leaning socialist Democrats who, from around the country who visited the state. I don't know what Republicans are down there. I haven't heard of any Republican leadership down there. Uh, and it's not about taking away anyone's rights. Uh, if, if the people there want to vote for unionization, then fine, that's the American way. But who's down there championing the idea that uh, Amazon, now the second largest employer in this country, is paying a, a pretty good wage to start uh, has amazing benefits and has created over a million jobs in this country. You know, if you look in the over of all the people who've lost their jobs in leisure and hospitality and retail, one of the best places to find a, a higher paying job, by the way, you go from 350 a week to 850 a week on average, is to go to the local transportation hub for an Amazon or someone who's trying to compete with Amazon. No one's out there fighting. Uh, instead, you know, uh, listen, uh, the Dr. Seuss story is intriguing, but I don't know that I don't want I don't want my senator complaining about that right now. Uh, I, I really don't. I, I think they're the, what's I think what the left has done that's brilliant, by the way, is they start on these things along with the long runway and they and they sprinkle into the school system and they sprinkle them into Saturday morning cartoons and then into the movies and then into the books. And then next thing you know, it's policy. So. <clears throat> 
I'm frustrated that the messaging part, no one says how great we are. When was the last time you heard a politician say how great we are? Yeah. I, and, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's so rare. You, you, you know, how, how, how great we are and how great we can be. Uh, and, and again, like I said earlier, there's just some extremely powerful forces that will maintain their power only through the vision uh, of, of, of Americans and a sort of uh, innate fear or internal fear rather that we can't do it ourselves, that we need them to do it on our behalf. Uh, because if we ever remove that, uh, you know, just sort of the way this country was built, hey, the West is open, go out there and get it, go out there and claim a stake for yourself. No one was afraid. You hop in a wagon, you go by foot, whatever it took. You went out there, you pulled yourself up by the bootstraps and you took a, you took a stake and you drove it into the ground and you made a claim. We have to engine, we have to bring that out in people again. And the and the folks with the biggest microphones who can do that, I think they waste their time on some of these other things that are very minor distractions in a large scheme of things. Yeah. Well, you got me ready to go, Charles. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. This is a this that's a good lead in to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is your your wheelhouse, Wall Street. And so much of the economic policy conversation today revolves around bashing Wall Street. And, and let me be clear, I'm not saying there's no one on Wall Street that doesn't deserve criticism, uh, I guess, like in every sector. But there's sort of this two part narrative. The first is that Wall Street sort of operates in this um, enclave of freedom. It's the Wild West, no regulation on Wall Street. Um, and then anything that that is good for Wall Street is necessarily bad for Main Street. Thus, uh, to protect the interests of Main Street, we need to hammer Wall Street. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how Wall Street and Main Street interact and how economic freedom in both of those places is really important for everyone's success or not. I like to separate Wall Street uh, into two things. Uh, Wall Street as a, as a uh, sort of proxy for the people, uh, the billionaires, the people who've made, who make billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in Wall Street as a place that facilitates financial transactions uh, where you can go and raise money, where you can, where you trade stocks. Because I think that's really important. I think that's where this whole thing begins to get bogged down from the very beginning. All of it is sort of seen as just the enclave for these billionaires who helicopter in from the Hamptons, uh, you know, push a few buttons, make it make a billion dollars and, and helicopter back out, get special tax treatment, uh, get to buy all the media properties, never never have to be held accountable for when they're bailed out. Uh, and that's and that, I think if people want to take a shot at them, that's fine. I, I'm not, you know, believe me, they've got enough resources to defend themselves. But unfortunately, when they do that, they also uh, unwittingly aid factions that are anti-capitalism anyway. And then they start to degrade the ability to raise money for companies that want to go public, to exchange stocks. And so that's where that's where I really worry about it. Uh, it's you know someone like an Elizabeth Warren, um, who who always conflates the whole thing. Uh, and 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 so obviously Wall Street, as this financial capital that has allowed us to create these companies that start from nothing. Yesterday. A company called Michaels uh, was was acquired, $22 a share. A year ago, it was $1.50. And you know the company's been around for a while, but it's they're, they're, it's it's crafts, right? It's it's uh, you know that's uh, my wife uh, loves the store. You know she 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 sews. She she made a whole bunch of masks and she gave them away to hospitals. And but it's arts and crafts. 
know, how can you get an arts and crafts business? Somebody named Michael will obviously probably set this up. How can you get a business like that and let it ultimately find the capital to grow and to flourish and to grow and to flourish? And, and, and all that growth and, and, and creates jobs, it creates opportunity. And the people who work there, they send their kids to school, then their kids get an education. You know, that's the, all that germinates from our financial system. You know, uh, one of one of my favorite stock market stories is Ruth Christian and the Steakhouse. Uh, so, so Jack, uh, this woman, her husband passes away. She doesn't have a lot of money. Uh, you know, she's making curtains. Uh, you know, because she used to do that as a living, but she really didn't know what she wanted to do, and she was kind of desperate. She's looking through the classifieds, and she sees an ad for a, res a restaurant for sale. It was Chris's Steakhouse. Her name was Ruth. She never ran a restaurant before in her life. She goes on a whim and she buys Chris's steakhouse. She just puts her name in front of it. Now it's Ruth Chris. But, you know, for her to take it from there to, a, a, you know, a publicly traded company that grows around the world, that's what it's all about. That's really what it's all about. We don't want to mess that up out of our animosity over billionaires. And that's exactly what they get us to do over and over again. Listen, I, I, I wasn't really happy with the bank bailout. Uh, you know, I just... Uh, I know that, uh, you know, if you let them all go out and there's a domino effect and I can see where people can be upset because these you're same things only got worse. Hmm? You're amongst friends here on that. <laughs> yeah, so you, you can see why someone would be upset about something like that um, when there's thousands of banks and if you've made a mistake, that that's one of the beauties in this country is that you should be allowed to go out of business. Even now we're keeping a lot of zombie companies alive. Uh, so th that's the creative destruction, you know, an idea from the Austrian school uh, that's that's really been at the forefront of our growth, the ability to, to crash and burn and rise up like a phoenix. That, that's one of the beauties of America, right? That's one of our hallmarks. Uh, and it gets all skewed when, when you know, the, the most privileged among us uh, can make the biggest mistakes some of them just glaringly uh, obvious mistakes and still be bailed out. So you can see where that animosity is there. And I get that. But I worry that and that and sort of some folks know how to package that together. Uh, and then they go after the other parts, the other key hallmarks of what keeps us going. Uh, and, and we don't want that. to. We, we want to make sure that that never happens. Yeah. Um, the Michael story is a great lead in to my next question, which is regarding COVID, because it may be the case that Michael's found so much success because everyone was staying home doing arts right. and crafts. Right. And um, and what that really shows us is the dynamism of the American economy. That is, as things change, the economy shifts and the the you know the the, the highest use of those resources are, are applied. And um, you know, as Terry, uh, as Ambassador Miller talked about, the United States has had a substantial drop in the uh, index of economic freedom this year and a lot of that is in response to uh, was, is the is the result of the government response to covid and i was wondering what your views were on the government's response whether it's washington or even state and local uh, uh responses and what what do we do moving forward <laughs> i don't know if that barn door has been open uh yes yeah, <laughs> uh i don't know i um you know, maybe we should have had this conversation uh, nine months ago. But uh, listen, I thought the first economic package, obviously, uh, in the midst of something where you had a big, big, a lot of question marks over this whole thing, and we were thinking the worst, and we certainly had to spring into action. 
I applaud the, 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 uh, the federal government and the Federal Reserve for, for acting so swiftly. Uh, we had some bipartisanship there. Obviously, some things were cobbled together quickly. Uh, um, and, you know, there was some frustration, you know, some of the money designed for small businesses invariably found their way into to pockets of people who didn't really need it. But we, we did need that. But now it's, it's become the ultimate money grab. And, and we're, we've dug ourselves into an even worse position because uh, between the Federal Reserve and the 120 billion uh, that they're doing, and Jay, and Jay Powell probably ready to pull another trick uh, uh, out of his sleeve, and, and you know, four rounds of, of fiscal stimulus, you add fodder now uh, to those who say we can do this all the time. Like, why haven't we been doing this? This is given birth. Uh, well. It's resuscitated the modern monetary theory, uh, you know, the kind of theory that's been around for a long time, but no one took it seriously. Uh, well, now people take it seriously. And the notion is, well, the federal government prints money. So why can't they print unlimited amounts of money? And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, and the only reason you even would need taxes is to moderate inflation. Right. I mean, that's the core of the idea. And, and how do you push back against that? Uh, when there are trillions of dollars being printed up out of thin air. Uh, so uh, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm not sure how we can re revisit this. Uh, I mean, we know that this is right now we're getting a whole lot of deficit spending, but what comes next are higher taxes. But also what comes next are these these schemes. And these schemes will be promoted on the notion that, hey, we already have proof that we can do this already. There are a lot of folks in D.C. saying we should have recurring uh, uh, fiscal stimulus. It should be every year. Of course, you have people like Andrew Yang who are saying we should get the uh, universal basic income. And, and every time there's a new plan like this, it's hard to push back on it. At the end of the year, imagine uh, if you're a proponent of modern monetary theory, universal basic income. Uh, you're going to say to the world, look at all the things America did, and they had eight. Per we had eight percent GDP. We had the best GDP since Ronald Reagan. Who would argue against that? Of course, we know what's lying in wait. I mean, you know, it's a ticking time bomb. <laughs> so, so the fiscal restraint that's needed, I, I just don't really ever see it happening. I just don't see any any political will to ever do it, to ever get it done. Uh, I don't know. Obviously, you can't get elected uh, saying that you'll get it done and you can't get reelected. And for every I think almost all politicians to a degree say, I'm going to go to D.C. I'll stay a term or two and try and do my thing. And but it's it's I guess it's intoxicating because very few actually ever do walk away unless the poll numbers are just that bad. So, uh I, I'm worried about it. You know, I looked at I look at this index of freedom and I look at our score and the lower score that I could find was government spending right at 62.2, that's gonna go lower. That's gonna go lower. And sadly, the best category for America, labor freedom at 87.1, that's gonna get hurt really badly. I mean, again, President Biden's already said that he wants to be the most pro-union president in history. There are folks here saying that video that he made for, for, for Amazon, the, the unionization effort there, was the most pro-union thing anyone's ever seen a president do. Uh, mm -hmm. That might be hyperbolic, but the point is, uh, we're going to see where states who have already gone and, and, and voted on these things uh, are going to be challenged by the, our federal government to reject 
uh, right to right to work states are gonna gonna be challenged by our, our own national government. So the labor freedom that's gonna collapse. The spending part's gonna get worse. And I think it's one of these things where it may just have to get to the to to point a tipping point. I don't know that we'll ever have the will, Jack, and I hate to say this, to just tap on the brakes uh, without, without, you know, I think we have to go over the cliff, the proverbial cliff, and then mm -hmm. come out the ashes and say, okay, we learned the hard way uh, and we're starting all over. Mm -hmm. Let's talk big picture for a minute. From an economic standpoint or an economic freedom standpoint, um, what are some of the policies that you've seen historically be most effective? What would you like to see happen that um, would help the United States raise the score. You talked about spending a little bit, but are there other other things that you think need to be done? You know, I, I, it's not a big part of, of the the heritage um, review, but the educational. I, I think education is really the the big key uh, for our country. I am so worried. I'm so afraid where we are now. It's you know the great migration of Black Americans from the South to the North. You can leave a place and, and, and settle in Detroit and for years, for decades, you'd have a really good job, you know, at, a, at an auto auto plant and, and you send your kids to college and that changed the whole trajectory of your family's history from there on out. Um, you know, that's, that's not, you know, we're moving into, we're right now in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, I'm something of a Luddite uh, by nature. And although I know the first three created more jobs, more prosperity, and more more opportunity, uh, you know this this current one we're in is just sort of like oh, okay, you know I mean I don't I, you know when John Kerry says we're going to lay uh, lay off ten thousand Keystone Pipeline workers and they can go learn how to code tomorrow, I'm like saying no, they can't. Although we need to be teaching that, you know it's. Uh, you know, we, we say we do these great groovy commercials and we do bumper sticker stuff and teach our girls to code. Yeah, let's teach them, please. Let's teach them today. Um, so education for me is the number one issue. Uh, I, I think uh, without without the education, we're, we're left to, we're, we lose control of our own destiny. And, and so some of the things that we would want to change or fix with respect to economic freedom uh, are no longer completely in our control. Uh, now, having said that, I'm a, I'm a low tax guy, uh, you know, low regulation guy, uh, um, uh, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm big on messaging. Uh, I, I, I think some sort of a can-doism needs to sweep in, in this country like with, with, with a certain fever. And I will say this much, I do see some of that with young millennials, the younger part of the millennial bracket, and Gen Zers. In fact, you know, we were talking, you were talking about this, uh, the pandemic and some of the interesting things that have happened. The amount of new businesses, business applications have gone through the roof, absolutely through the roof. And that is just so amazing. Often it's people who lost their jobs and just finally said, okay, I'm going to roll the dice, I, you know. But that's okay. However, however they got here, uh, they're here, and 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 so I actually do have hope uh, with the Gen Zers. Now, honestly, I think uh, you know some of them want to want to make it overnight. You know, this Kardashian thing where you can just sort of become famous and rich overnight. Uh, maybe that's playing a part of it. But the fact that they that they're you know I hear more and more of them want to work hard. When I when I when I with my son and I listen to his music and I hear rappers 
you know, actually rapping and bragging about who works the hardest, uh, you know, and, and wanting to own their own companies and be their own bosses. And, you know, before it was about endorsing a champagne, now it's about owning the champagne company. So I do see a, a real glimmer of hope there. Uh, and I, I do worry, I think policies have to allow these young people to get in the system where it doesn't cost a fortune in permitting, you know, you know, like a, new, a place like a New York City, right? You know, you can't be a young person and start a business there. It costs you a fortune. Have you ever gone by a construction site in New York City and seen all those things in the window on the, on the signs, all the permits? It's like 47,000 permits. Uh, you know, you can't afford it. So I'm hoping for lower taxes, less regulations, and somehow a can-doism to, to, to sweep across this nation uh, and to get us back to our roots of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and knowing that we can do it. It's not about the government. It's never been about our government. Uh, it's about allowing us to do what we do best. It's still innate. I still believe it's in our DNA. Yeah. Um, I, when I was sort of researching, looking for, 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 for things to talk to you about, I was looking at some old quotes that you, that you, that, that were out there that you had made. And you talked about, um, there was a quote about, uh, the 9600 uh, level Dow, and you, you, it was something about I don't know where the Dow is going to open today, but it has to be at least 9600. 9, and the Dow sitting today at you know over 30,000. I thought, my God, how long has Charles been doing this? That the Dow was 9600. <laughs> and then and then I looked, and it was only 10 years ago. And yeah. uh, what is it about this American economy that no matter what? At least to this point, people have thrown at it. The, the, the Dow has grown like that. We keep getting more prosperous. What is it about, about us that just keeps us trudging forward? It's, I think Tocqueville probably hit on it. Uh, Tocqueville came to this country to examine our prison system. So he ended up, I think he was here for three years. Uh, and uh, he, he ends up learning a lot more, right? And, and you know, he writes this book uh, about these, this upstart country and the idea that everyone thinks they can make it. <laughs> and, and then, you know, it wasn't a flattering book. Uh, you know, of course, in Europe, wherever you were born, that was your station in life for the most part. And, and you know, how dare some country, uh, some upstart country where uh, you're born poor, you really believe you can be rich. Uh, so, I, you know, I've always believed, Jack, that the upward mobility is still a really key, a key factor for our nation. Uh, and and I, I, I just dismiss some. I, I see these pieces that say we're no longer the most upwardly mobile. I don't know how people measure those kind of things. Uh, you know, I, I see all the time uh, where, you know, for instance, uh, DoorDash, you know, kid comes to this country with his mom from China. She has a medical degree in China, but they don't recognize it in this country. So they have to start from scratch. So she's working in a series of hard, tough, difficult jobs. She kind of settles in in a restaurant industry, all facets of her, I guess, from waitressing or whatever. And he's a kid. He's growing up with her. He spends a lot of time in restaurants, you know, and he's in college and a buddy. They're trying to think of ways to make money. Like, how can we make a fortune? And they kind of stumble on this idea. He says, you know what? I know the restaurant industry very well. And outside of New York City, delivery sucks. So they create this business. And, and those are the kind of, of American things that I see all the time. Every story, Airbnb, you've got two guys out in San Francisco, 
And, you know, they, they've got their degrees. San Francisco is a prohibitively expensive city, though. And, and they're struggling, right? They don't know how to make ends meet. Uh, and then there, it's the election. They've got to, you know, they, they actually, before that, they said, you know, we got a big apartment. They rent out a part of the apartment, the genesis of Airbnb. They said, maybe we should flesh this out, but how can we get the money? So during the election, they decide to make commemorative cereal boxes. It was McCain, Captain McCain Crunch, something like that, and Obama berries or something like that. But they made two of these boxes, and I think they raised like 40 grand, and they built this business, which obviously is a multi-billion dollar business. So you can you can take these seeds of ideas, you can, and you can, and they can blossom in your lifetime. In your lifetime, they can blossom. So I think that's the the still the cornerstone. While I want more kids to feel that way, there's still enough people in this country. And I, I'll be honest with you, more people who come to this country uh, feel that way because they know where they're coming from. You know, and I, so they, they actually come here and say, man, you guys don't know what the hell you're sitting on. You're sitting on a gold mine. I'll take it from here. But that's still uh, the key issue. That's the key for America right there. There's just... I can change things. I can make it better for the next generation. And I can actually create something uh, from an idea that I had in the middle of the night. Well, we're coming up to the end here, Charles. Now, just from talking to you a little bit, I can tell, I suspect you're an optimist, that when you look at America and its promise, and there's going to be some bumps in the road, but you're feeling good about where we're headed. I was wondering if you could leave us with uh, what you see for this future, or for this country in the future moving forward. I am a rose colored glasses kind of guy. I really am. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's got me here and I, I see, I see beautiful things. I really do. My son is 24. I see him. I see his friends. Uh, my, my oldest granddaughter is eight. Uh, she's fearless. She, she's, she takes karate. Uh, last night I took her to I fly where, you know, you get inside the booth and they fly you around. Uh, I just see, I see fearless young Americans taking the baton from, ironically, I, I you know, I, I see most of the opposition in this country, just older folks who have kind of become sort of, eh, you know, get off my yard kind of thing. I still believe that as long as we don't mess this up, that it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's woven into the fabric of who we are. And anytime we get a piece of it, a little bitty piece of it, no matter who you are, then it becomes infectious. So, and, you know, so, you know, we talk about COVID-19 and, and we talk about infections and this also, this I can do America is infect, it's, it's infectious. It could be more infectious with the right message, but it's still a key fabric of our country. So I'm extraordinarily optimistic that we're going to continue to, to be that great, great, you know, city on a hill. Charles Payne, thank you. This Thanks. was really, really outstanding. Now you can catch Charles' show, um, Making Money with Charles Payne, every weekday at 2 p.m. on Fox Business, and give him a follow on Twitter at CV Payne. Thanks, Charles. Thank Carry you. Back much, to you. Thank you, gentlemen. What a fantastic discussion. And, uh, and Charles, what an inspiring story your personal journey uh, has been, I think, for all of us in America and around the world, too. You know, economic freedom and the, the things we measure in the index are all about creating opportunities for everyone yeah. um, and not just opportunities 
for those that are well connected to the government. Uh, we see the results of that in countries around the world and it's not particularly pretty, uh, but I think with the right policy environment and an emphasis on freedom and opportunity, then we can create a better world for everybody. That's certainly my hope and I've got those rose colored glasses on too. <laughs> Well, Ambassador, I want to say thank you to you and also to Heritage because uh, it's 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 one of these organizations that really has been laser focused on their mission, and their mission is just what you said. Uh, you know, it's one of those missions where they're looking out for the world, uh, for a better world. And I I'm being serious. There are very few entities that sincerely are trying to do that every day, but Heritage is, and it and it does. Thanks again. Thanks. Uh, before concluding the event, um, I want to call our audience's attention to one other new feature in the Index of Economic Freedom. Uh, this year, we're inaugurating an award for distinguished achievement in the promotion of economic freedom. And the recipient of the first annual Stephen M. Sass Economic Freedom Award is Daniel Doran, the founder and director of the Israel. Israeli Center for Social and Economic Progress. Congratulations to Mr. Doran on his dedication over more than half a century in promoting economic freedom. Well, all the information we've presented here today, as well as the entire text of the index and a good portion of our database, including a number of interactive search and analysis features, is available without charge on the index website, which you can access at heritage.org index. I wanna thank you all for joining us today. And this concludes the program.